0: I looked at my stock portfolio. I had a third of my money in real estate and was giving me twice as much in terms of passive income once I factored in the equity buildup, which was something I didn't even know to look at. I was just looking at the cash flow. And that cash flow had increased tremendously over time. I found in the equity buildup over time. I was like, okay, well, six times the revenue. And at that point, it was just like buy a long-term rental, have a property manager, manage it, rent it out. I wasn't even doing anything savvy like advanced tax strategies, real estate professional, short-term rentals, nothing.
1: Welcome to Investing in the U.S., a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to grow their wealth by investing in U.S. real estate. I'm your host, Reid Goosens, and so far, I've acquired over $800 million worth of investments on various properties across the United States. On this podcast, I interview go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business to learn more about their investment journey and the cutting edge strategies they are applying towards building a legacy. For more on growing your own wealth and or by investing in the U.S., visit w www.readgoossens.com Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Param Bala. Now, Param is a radiologist in Southern California, who her whole working life, she's raised her two kids and has also been able to build a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio that has helped her become financially free at just the age of 41. She's now the founder and CEO of Generational Wealth, MD, and GW Capital, where she has helped thousands of physicians accelerate towards financial freedom through her coaching program and her syndication opportunities, helping them build a personalized real estate investment portfolio portfolios. But enough me, let's get out here. G'day, Param. How are you? Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Reed. I'm so excited to be on here.
1: I'm so excited for you to be here as well. We've, been, we've known each other for a couple of years now and um, you have, since I first started meeting you, you have grown and we're going to get into that story in a little bit. But we would like to start all the podcasts with rewinding the clock and telling me or telling our audience how you made your first ever dollar as a kid.
0: So I knew you were going to ask me that. And I keep, kept thinking back to when I did it. Unfortunately, I have a very traditional Indian upbringing. So it was all about education growing up. I did help with the family business. My parents are real estate investors. So they work W2 jobs, but they you know built their portfolio on the side. I did help them with it. I never ne- technically got paid for it. I think my first ever dollar was in residency when I became a physician out of training. It's a very boring story.
1: <laughs> I always like to hear that like, Throw that one in there because, particularly people from immigrant families, it's interesting to see the relationship that everyone has with with money, like, and what they do you know are they selling sweets and candies at school or they're you know waiting like helping out with the family business and then and then waiting till they get into sort of their profession but for people who are are listening to this not watching this you've let the cat out of the bag with also your accent that you are not originally from this country right so maybe walk us through that journey because I'm also not from this country and I had a journey and it's really interesting I love talking to other expats about their journey to the United States and maybe we start with like the why why did you want to come here from from India
0: Ah, that's an interesting question. So Indian families typically, when you're born, your parents know what you want they, you know, what they want you to do with your career is they kind of decide for you. And so I always knew I was going to be a physician. And looking back, I don't think I would if I had to do this over and over again, that's exactly what I would do. But I didn't necessarily make that choice growing up. So I was a physician and I knew that America, I mean, it was a land of opportunities. I also grew up in the Middle East, which where they don't have any taxes. And so I also knew it was a land of taxes coming in. But anyways, I wanted to really expand my horizon, you know, learn in the best healthcare system possible. And, and, and that was, that's why I moved over here for the opportunities. So initially, the plan was to move back, but that necessarily didn't happen.
1: Were you already trained in India?
0: Yes, I, I did go to med school in India and I came gotcha. here right after med school.
1: And so did you have to retrain to come here?
0: You have to take the MLE, uh, which is uh, which anyone, even if you did go to medical school in the United States, you have to take the MLEs anyways. And so it's not necessarily very different.
1: Okay. So it wasn't like you had to go back to university and retrain no. or anything like that. That's that's no.
0: Yeah. yeah. If you if you studied in the United States, you would go to college and then medical school and you would take the MLEs and then go to residency. And it's essentially the same thing. In In India, you don't go to college, you go to med school right away after high school. And so it's a longer duration.
1: There's always that stigma of like, the janitor from India who's like a brain surgeon and comes to the U.S. and, and you can only become a janitor. You know, like, <laughs> I don't yeah, know how that true it's so that true. that's. <laughs> it's,
0: it's so true. I think I was fortunate in that I had the resources where I could just mm. come study for the MLEs, take my time, do it. I didn't necessarily have to earn you know, uh, to pay for my airfare or to pay for the for the exam. Mm-hmm. So I think I've been blessed in that sense, and so I was supported to some extent over there. But I was also earning during my residency in India, like the, the year of training that you do, and so um, it yeah, yeah. So I didn't have to. I was I was fortunate. It was like a direct path almost.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Now walk walk us through. Well, I guess I wanna, I'm curious about like how was that transition for you? Did you, was it a was it eye opening to walk, come to the United States and as a physician, it was a as culture a young, shock, yeah, culture sure. shock for <laughs> sure.
0: Um, I, I'm sure you felt that too. Cause like it's just a you know, um in India, English is British English. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the slang, the terms, even going to McDonald's and saying, Oh, can you I want this to go was something I had to learn. So I was like, Oh my god, you know, I'm here in my 20s and I'm like relearning a lot of stuff. It was a culture shock, but um, and then I think I think when you come in, you have preconceived notions about you know, what America's like and how the people are. Saying, having lived here for almost 20 years now, um, I realize that people are the same essentially, but it takes a while to get to that point.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. As all the travel that I've done around the world, we're all – people talk about not necessarily small town syndrome. Like I'm from a really, really nice beachy area, tourist area in Australia. Everyone's like, why'd you leave? It's like, well, because it's also a small town and you want to conquer the world. And everywhere I've been, Europe – America, Australia, like, people still have that sort of small town feel and vibe and it's, I'm the different one or we're the different one that, that's come, you know, half, you know, uprooted their life and moved halfway across the world. So, But at the end of the day, people are, you know, I, I try and see good in everyone and everyone has sort of a similar sort of upbringing, you know, want to do good for their family, they want to do well, you know, better than their parents and, and 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 so on. And that's that's a common trait we all have regardless of where you come from. Absolutely. So so let's let's pivot into the real estate investing. Like I've spoken to interviewed a couple of physicians on this show. Vikram Raya uh, at Viking Capital is a good friend of mine. I think you know Vikram quite well. But talk to me about the time when you realized being a physician wasn't wasn't going to cut it anymore.
0: So, you know, you come in, you're raised to be a physician, and my parents worked W-2 jobs and they were also real estate investors. But I think the way I was raised, I wasn't necessarily, none of that information really was, you know, transferred over to me. And I had the belief that my physician income would be my security, right? My financial security would come from my physician uh, income. So um, I started working. I thought I was doing everything right, investing in the stock market, you know, not necessarily. And so coming into a different country, I didn't really have mentors who were guiding me financially. And it's it's very Different. I didn't have the same support system, didn't really, you know, have the contacts. And so I was investing in the stock market, doing what I was doing. You know, I did have a colleague who was a third generation real estate investor. He so kind of Wanted me to start doing it. I didn't know why I was doing it. I looked at the cash flow and I was like, well, this isn't really cutting it. You know, $500 a month from one property isn't going to get me to the point where I'm being I'm getting to financial freedom. So I think I was heavily focused on the stock market, got a few properties here and there. And 10 years down the line, 2019, there was a merger at work. Um, I had negotiated this, you know, this great salary, 12 weeks vacation because I still have family. The bulk of my family is in India. So I, I, I travel back, and that was really important to me. And everything was shifting. We had to renegotiate everything. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted, and so there was a transition. I switched jobs. There was a six-month period over there where it was professionally and what I would call that my the lowest point in my career because mm-hmm. I was trying to make things work, um, renegotiating things. And uh, I took a look at my numbers at that point. I was like, okay, you know, and I've worked for ten years, and I was in a high-income subspecialty. Said so things should be. I should be pretty close to financial freedom. And I realized that uh, I was nowhere close to it. And that's when I started digging deep. And and that's when I realized that I didn't want to ever be in that position where my my income was tied to medicine per se. And, and then this, this kind of uphe- upheaval could happen again. I didn't want to go through the same anxiety. So I really wanted to start developing that passive income stream, which would give me my financial security. So I didn't want it to be medicine anymore. And that's when I, I looked at my stock portfolio. I had, you know, a third of my money in real estate and was giving me twice as much in terms of. You know, passive income. Once I factored in the equity buildup, which was something I didn't even know to look at, I was just looking at the cash flow, and that cash flow had increased tremendously over time. I found in the equity buildup over time. I was like, okay, well, six times the revenue. And at that point, I was just—it was just like buy a long-term rental, have a property manager manage it, rent it out. I wasn't even doing anything savvy, like you know, advanced tax strategies, real estate professional, short-term rentals, nothing. And I was getting six times more in, in real estate than the stock market. And I was like, okay, if I needed to get to the point, and I wanted to get to the point where I was financially free within the next few years, I, I wrote it down. I said, three years from now, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get to it. And as I you know started deep diving, I realized I wanted to be more active. I started doing rehabs without a general contractor. I was using the birth strategy. Uh, I started using short-term rentals, which allowed me to you know, shelter my income from taxes. And then you know, recycle that money. I did long term, midterm. I did all of it, and I got to that point. I think it was about the twelve to fourteen month mark. I looked at my numbers and with my acquisitions and whatever I'd done, I was financially free. And so that's when I started. I, I pivoted. I went down to a day a week in medicine. Uh, my kids were little at the point; they were two and five. I wanted to spend more time with them. I didn't know if I'd ever have that opportunity. to Do it. My son was being uh, was in online school, and so went down to a day a week in medicine and haven't looked back.
1: That's that's awesome. Are you still a day a week right now?
0: Well, so then I then went out to build this online community for physicians, you know, helping them, you know, do the same thing. I was like, why is no one talking about this? People need to know this. And so, Generation Wealth MD grew. We're now at over 10,000 physicians. I built GW Capital for those physicians who wanted to invest passively. You know, not everyone wanted to be an active investor. We are where we are with GW Capital. I feel like they need my focus right now. So, if I still want to work part time, it has to be, you know, um, they need my full attention. So, the last few months. It was a big identity shift for me. I cut back. I'm taking a self-imposed sabbatical, I like to say, uh, where I'm um, I'm focusing entirely on the companies and I'm not in medicine. I do do a shift here and there, maybe once a month, but that's about it.
1: That's that's that, that's great. And I think you mentioned something in there that I wanted to touch a little bit on before we come back. In some of the strategies you're working on, is you mentioned like you after 10 years of working, you weren't financially free. From my outside perspective, like when you're a high, I'm a high income earner. But I've also come from a point of like I don't live necessarily like a high-income earner, right? Like I, I started with low-income paying jobs and then worked my way up. And a couple of the physicians I've spoken to are like, yeah, I earn really good money, but also my expenses are through the roof. You know what I mean? Like because they, they get used to a lifestyle. Yeah. How was that – did that play any role in making that financial freedom jump to reassess what you, what you thought was the lifestyle – as a physician, you know what I mean. Does that make sense? Yeah, the, that's the, the, a very the, valid
0: question. Now, I think there is lifestyle creep when you're a physician. You go from residency, and then you creep, get the million I love dollar. That. Right, so you have the million dollar house on the golf course. You have the expensive cars, and you're like, okay, is that part of the problem? I think the way I look at it is different because I know there are physician thought leaders who feel like live like a resident for the for the first three years, and then you know pay down debt. I think there are different camps, right? So the camp that I come from, I believe that. If you work smarter, if so, it's all about, you know, they talk about financial freedom and they talk about two things right? they say, it depends on how much you're saving and it depends on how much you need. Right. And so that's, that's your, um, how much do I need? What is my financial independence number? And the, th- the thing people don't talk about is the ROI of your portfolio. Like, that's the thing that you really need to focus on. I think if you're working smarter and you're, and that's why real estate makes sense because, you know, you get a high, higher ROI. If you're investing wisely, then I think it doesn't matter what your financial independence number is, you know, what your how much you need annually to meet your expenses. So I do have the million dollar home on the golf course, and I like expensive cars. But if you plan it out, right, and I think that's what we should be focusing on and not necessarily controlling expenses, you can still do it. And so when I made that shift, like I talked about that 12 month period was able to get to that financial independence number with the same lifestyle. And so I feel like the focus should be more on the ROI of your overall portfolio as opposed to focusing on, okay, how much do I need annually? And can I reduce that number? Which may, I think it works for some people. I mean, I think it should be maybe the right answer is probably it has to be a balance of all of those things. I think for me personally, and I think maybe more for high income professionals, the answer would likely be being more efficient in how you're allocating your assets.
1: No, that and, and that's a great answer. Fantastic answer. I think that's a You're so correct. Where you're in a high income earner bracket, and there's different tax strategies to save more of your income. So let's segue into that because one of the things I haven't spoken a lot about on short term rentals on this podcast and the tax benefits for that. uh, You mentioned that earlier. Do you want to walk us through a little bit of that strategy just for the listeners to understand how you, as a high income earner or former high income earner with your job, were able to use short term rentals. And what that strategy looks like.
0: Before we dive into it, is it okay if I do a little bit of a disclaimer? Because I know people, I find that a lot, and I also coach positions, right? And so, what I see is that sometimes people pick a strategy for the wrong reasons, and so mm-hmm. yes, with short-term rentals you have you know a huge tax saving. But I think the first question I always tell people to think about is like, see where you fit in. Like there's a spectrum as far as real estate investors are concerned, and I think it's really important to know where where you are on that spectrum. And then one of the spectrum you have are passive investors who are like the investors who want to invest passively in apartments, syndications. or I even in that category I include people. Who invest in long-term rentals and have a property manager and it's like pretty passive you know um, someone else is managing it and you're staying pretty hands-off so less of your time in- involved as far as that is concerned and then on the opposite end of the spectrum are your active investors where it's like super active short-term rental investors are in that category and i would also say someone who's a general partner because you run that as a business and there are going to be ups and downs you're going to put a lot of time and effort into it and that's a commitment you have to be willing to make even with short-term rentals it's not just about acquiring it, getting the tax savings. And then, you know, you need to, especially in the current environment with saturation in most markets, you really need to stay on top of it. And I think that's a commitment. You, you need to have the mentality of an entrepreneur where you can look at a setback or a challenge. If your occupancy drops, say, hey, I'm going to go in and fix this, as opposed to saying, oh my God, what did I get myself into? And I so that's the disclaimer. So if that's it, I call them entrepreneurs, right? You have the passive investor, you have the entrepreneurs. If that's your Aptitude. If you have the aptitude for that and the risk tolerance for that, then definitely go ahead and do it because the, the ROI is for some of our investors. It's a greater than two hundred percent ROI in year one, right? Once you factor in equity buildup, cash flow, and the tax savings, so it's huge. But make sure it's the right fit for you. And then I think in the middle, I call them the short term hustlers, which is what I did for the twelve months where I really accelerated my portfolio. Well, and that's where you have the burst strategy, right? The people who go into the value add, do a rehab. The equity. you've increased your rents, you've, in, you've you know created equity, significant equity, and then you can pull that out if you want to, you recycle your money. But at some point, you can shift that portfolio easily into the passive bucket and you know you're doing it for a short period of time to get to those goals. Midterm rentals, I think, fall in the same category because it's a little bit of time to build up that network and get the referral partners but once you do that you aren't as time intensive and at some point you can convert that into a furnished long-term rental right so it's a short-term plan it isn't as time intensive and i think the important thing is first know where you fit in this for some people it's always going to be passive some people the short-term hustler you know that makes absolute sense but if you are a true entrepreneur, then get into the short-term rental uh, business, because especially in the current environment with interest rates the way they are, with markets being oversaturated, you really need to run it like a business and you be- need to be willing to accept those challenges. But we're coming down to the... Tax savings part for most positions because they're working full time. Unless you have a partner who is part time, if, if you are, you know, point, you know, working three days or less a week, or your partner is, then you may be able to qualify as a real estate professional. Which, which, uh, you know, both of us do. You if you're spending more time in real estate than any other income producing activity in over 750 hours. A year on real estate, then you may be able to get those tax savings, even with long-term rentals or mid-term rentals. But for most positions, it's a two-physician household. Both of them are working full time. They can still reduce the, you know, the tax impact on their active income, the income, the clinical income they're making when they acquire a short-term rental and they meet material participation criteria in that calendar Mm -hmm. year, right? So what it looks like for most people is, okay, they put down 50,000, you can use a 10% down loan, 50,000 to buy a short-term rental, right? uh, That's worth a half a million. And they, they, qualify for material participation, which means they spend 100 hours in that calendar year on the property, which is not too hard to do. And you know, spouses can combine hours. So you do 50 hours each, you list it, you place it in service, you have a few stays. When you go and do your taxes, especially this year, because we still have 80% bonus depreciation. Last year, we had 100%. That 50K comes out in tax savings. Once you go and um, you file your taxes because you've materially participated in it. And that's a... For most people, it's 100% ROI, year one, just from tax saving, but they're able to now funnel into, the, into growing their portfolio. But they're also getting higher cash flow from short-term rentals. Ideally, when we run numbers, we want people to be at greater than 10% cash on cash return in year one, which is much higher than what you would get with a long-term rental in the current interest rate environment. Um, And then you're also, you you may be able to go in and rehab that property, build up equity. You still have equity buildup and all of those other things happening. You're using leverage more optimally because you only have 10% down. So you get that leverage multiplier when you factor in how much equity you're building up over time. So overall, your returns can be up to 200% in year one just from owning that short-term rental. And I think what Physicians, a lot of physician families are making over seven figures in income, and the IRS only allows you to shelter like a five hundred twenty-four thousand every year from taxes. From you know, as far as your um active income is concerned, so they would go and buy two or three short-term rentals, run them, and then every year you know not have to pay taxes on half a million dollars of. clinic of clinical income which is huge because now they can use that and they can you could use to continue to grow their portfolio and build up that passive income stream but like i said again you have to make sure that you're the right fit for it it does require more of a time commitment and you need to have that entrepreneurial mindset where you're willing to pivot and, and you know manage it
1: and it goes back to your point earlier of understanding not necessarily an expense reduction in a high income earner mindset it's being smarter with what you've got and and then, then you know, sandwiching that with, well, there's a strategy here, i.e., a real estate professional strategy. It seems to be less cumbersome than, you know, than long-term rentals. But there still is a commitment there that you need to make, and some juggling of the the career, the hustle in order to to make your reduce your taxes and then obviously the family on top of that. So
0: absolutely. But I think I think the other thing is to always make sure that you aren't letting the tax tail wag the dog. So I always say make sure the property in itself is profitable without factoring in the tax savings. That's what you need to do and 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 that's what we make sure our, you know, um, our members are doing.
1: Mm, yeah, no, I, I, and that's that's so it's so important. But but talk to me about what's the what's the community you're building right now with physicians around generational wealth, MD. Because I think, and what are you offering the, those like-minded folks who have come from your similar background uh, today?
0: I started off with just education, read about you know short-term rentals and direct ownership and doing rehabs and you know how do you build up equity and do the value add strategy. And then over time, I realized that they need to be more structured program for transformation to happen. And so we now have a coaching program. So we do two live events every year, which are, very intense um we have a we actually have another one coming up in march and it's uh, generationalwealthmd.com/summit if anyone wants to sign up for it but we uh, go in and we talk all about real estate to some extent but you know all the strategies you can use and it's completely free it's virtual i feel like it adds a lot of value but then there are people who want to join dedicated the paid coaching program where we have coaches some of our coaches are physicians who have like nine short term rentals they're making over a million dollars in, you know, in gross revenue every year, just from the short term systems. And we help people actually take those steps. We, you know, connect them with team members in, you know, agents, property managers, and other vendors that they would need support system, they need to actually build that portfolio and to do it in an educated manner. And so, um, you know, we talk about tax strategies, asset protection, how do you really run numbers and how do you stress test your deals, all of that the program and so that became became a necessary part to really help people take the next step but i think that the core is, has always been about educating people right so that they go in that essentially de-risks your portfolio the more educated you are you're risking your portfolio we want people to do it the right way so a big part of it is education and then we have the coaching program and as i was doing this I realized like 75 of the community wanted to be passive investors and they would bring me deals and say could you vet this for me? But I wasn't getting the detailed underwriting and that's how GW Capital was born. And so we do the vetting and um, help them have market diversification, sponsored diversification. And that's where we, you invest passively with us in multifamily um, apartments. And GW Capital has been growing. Their community loves it. And I feel like I say you need to know which kind of investor you are. But what I've noticed is that even among our uh, coaching community where people buy tons of short-term rentals a lot of them are also investing passively in the apartment deals just you know for the tax benefits uh, to get us to appreciation benefit and they are able to actually strategize differently but i i feel like at, at different points you're going to need different things and so this almost um gives people tons of options to pick from while yeah. and then and then the focus core focus even over there is always going to be to educate and so we do um, due diligence checklists, and te- we do you know a lot of education on in terms of how do you vet your the deals, the market, the sponsor, all of that.
1: That's awesome. And, and and how many people are you got in in this space or on the platform right now?
0: So the community is over ten thousand physicians wow. um, at this time, and it's growing, um, and it's growing really fast. And I'm like, I'm just humbled by how fast we've grown. But I think then the responsibility lies on us to make sure we're doing a good job as far as educating, and then making mm-hmm. sure we're vetting the deals and and doing our due diligence with all the deals that we bring into a GW Capital.
1: What's the next five years look like? What's what's it? Uh, and and I guess the question. Also is do you ever want to be a sponsor or are you just you you're happy playing your role in the sort of the educator connector space?
0: With the right partnerships, I think that's what we're looking for right now. Um we would love to be possibly within the next five years. I think that's definitely something we're looking to do. Again, it's going to depend on the partnerships that we're forming. And, and I think that's what the next five years is going to bring us. But uh, I think a big part of our mission is also impact investing. And so GW Gives is the part of our of our mission where a charitable mission where we're helping um Um, children with disabilities in rural India with healthcare and education needs. And so impact investing is a big part of what the next five years looks like. We're doing a lot of that right now, but definitely amplifying that. I think growing the community, educating more people and impacting more families and growing both of those limbs, right? Really providing people with more resources as far as the direct ownership part goes, um, but also um, bringing on more partners and giving people more opportunities as far as the passive investments go.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, no, I think it's it's such an important and clearly from the response you've gotten, 10,000 physicians in I've known you for the last couple of years, like that's, that's incredible, you know, uh, like well, kudos to you and that's huge scale and just goes to show how much thirst is out there for knowledge in and around doing something a little different, you know what I mean? So as a platform, are you trying to offer with GW A diverse range of investment smorgasbord, or are you trying to keep to one niche, or or you're you know letting it letting it organically grow whatever direction it takes?
0: I've been exploring other options, I think, um, at this time, we've stuck with just multifamily um, residential more in the value add space, Um, haven't even explored development. And I'm open to exploring other options. And I think I have to have the confidence in it. And it has to be the right market for it. For now, we're sticking with uh, staying in the value add multifamily space. But I'm definitely open to exploring other asset classes and including them
1: over time. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, look, Param. At the end of every show, we love to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Question number one is: Name the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals.
0: I would have to say that is priming, where I wake up in the morning and it's like a fifteen-minute practice, um, and it takes you through graduate, uh, you know, um, and then actual goal setting and visualization, um, and that I, f- I feel like. I know that I've only been doing this for over a year now, but uh, I think being in the right mind space, showing up in the right state and really having goals that you're working towards change everything on a personal and a professional level. So.
1: Priming, of who came up with that one? What's Tony Robbins. But
0: I I think Vishen, it's the same thing. I feel like it's almost like a prayer, right? When we pray in the morning and that's there in a lot of cultures. It's not as structured, but it has to be about gratitude and then, you know, like feeling love and and then from that mindset, then thinking about what your goals are, what life looks like and working towards and being very intentional about it. So I I think prayer was intended to be that way. I don't think I've prayed that necessarily that way. So it's almost like really being intentional about how I'm doing it.
1: Sure, but also taking the space of the morning to do it when the mind isn't already active. No, I love that. Question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date?
0: that would have to be my dad because he is also um, – uh, he's a hard worker. He's an entrepreneur. They, um, yeah, they, he retired in his mid-60s and then built two businesses after that. And so, and he's also um, an amazing real estate investor, so I've learned so much from him.
1: Is he still back in India? Yes, yes, he yeah, is. Yeah. Well, ha- hello, Param's dad, if you're listening into this show, you're, you're Param's biggest uh, influence, so awesome stuff. Question number three is, what's the most influential tool in your business? Now, when I mention a tool, it could be a, a phone – uh, you know, a piece of hardware or, or a journal, but it also could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it?
0: I would say um, right now it would have to be our project management software, ClickUp, because we're building out you know um, templates for everything and really systematizing things so that you know it's not individual dependent. Essentially, it's ClickUp, but Monday.com, Asana, and Trello are similar. Gotcha,
1: gotcha, gotcha. ClickUp. I haven't heard of ClickUp. I know I know of Asana, I know of Monday.com I have not heard of ClickUp, so I have to check my, that one My out. director
0: of operations, when she came on, she was like, I'm a ClickUp expert. Let's just switch to ClickUp. And I was like, let's just do it. <laughs> it's That's, gonna awesome. That's
1: awesome. That's awesome. Question number four. In, in one sentence, what has the, been the biggest failure that you've experienced in your life? It doesn't have to be real estate. And what did you learn from that failure?
0: I think letting fear hold me back. I, I think I've done that a lot. It's true for real estate also. Being influenced by other people's opinions and fears. Uh, I think it's a mistake all of us make. I, I would have started a lot earlier in real estate if I hadn't listened to um, other people's fears and them projecting that onto me. But I think in in life in general, I, I um a lot of my decisions, I've delayed making decisions or made the wrong decision because of fear. And um, I think we all tend to do it. I think I'm more self-aware when I do that now. But, um, yeah, that would be the biggest one. <laughs>
1: No, that's, that's uh, a lot of us fall into that trap. You're not the only one. So, yeah, being being having fear holds you back, and and I think it's around surrounding yourself with people who who may have uh, a, another way of thinking about you know, entrepreneurship or taking control of your life, or you know, being in the W two forever, and then being able to redefine yourself in an, in another version, i.e. You know, being a w, uh, being an entrepreneur, and I remember being an engineer and being like so tied to engineering, right? And then having yeah. to make that, that, that switch. So absolutely love that. Last question is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go?
0: Generationalwealthmd.com is our website. I think it's a great place. Tons of resources over there. We have a due diligence checklist for passive investors. That's um, generationalwealthmd.com uh, slash guide. The resources section has all of this. There's a free ebook where I talk about the strategies I use to really accelerate to financial freedom. I think I have numbers in there. I think it's nice for people to see those examples. We have tons of calculators for anyone saying, okay, I want to run numbers before I actually buy something. I think that's a great place uh, for And then there's a, there, there are ways to get in touch with me over there also.
1: That is awesome. So generationalwealthmd.com, correct? Yes. That's awesome. Well, Pram, look, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. You know, your story of coming to the US and 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 making a, a go of it is is you know, something I obviously very much uh, align with. And and thank you for sharing that. Um, but also talking in and around changing your mindset around, you know, I was coming from a starting gate of reducing your expenses as a high W two income earner, but you're like, no, I'm trying to come from the point of being smarter with what you have. And giving people the permission and the power through education, through your platform, to learn about different things. We talk about short-term real estate strategy, uh, which is an interesting one because I hadn't heard about that. I know being a real estate professional, I think you need 250 or 750 hours per year as for, on the long term. But in the short-term space, it's only 100. So a lot more people can tick that box. And I think that really fits in and around you know the md lifestyle right they don't want to give up the practice or give up you know the years that they've slogged at to become a doctor but they can sort of tick that box and recoup some of that uh, that money you know you you made you made the example of nearly half a million dollars like that's incredible fuel to add on to that you know exponential growth curve of of growing that generational wealth so did i leave anything out there
0: i i think that's some sums set up Reid.
1: Awesome stuff. Well, look, thank you so much for jumping on today's show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam packed with some incredible information for Param. Remember, head over to generationalwealthmd.com for anyone who is interested. I'm sure even if you're not a, a, a medical doctor, you can definitely go over there and check it out and look at what the community that uh, Param is building with her incredible team. Uh, I know personally Param has built this incredible platform in such a short period of time. So kudos to her and her team. And I want to also say kudos to you for listening for each and every week. We do this each and every week because we like to provide financial IQ for you as the listener. The easiest way to give back to this show is to give it a five-star review on iTunes, and we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.